Today's episode of the BS Podcast in the sweltering heat of Los Angeles on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by ZipRecruiter, where they know the difference between working hard and working smart. ZipRecruiter's technology and tools make hiring more efficient and effective. It's the smartest way to hire. That doesn't mean you can't find people who work hard too. ZipRecruiter will help you. They're powerful technology. Scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. So effective, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where we have new podcasts posted this week on Shuffle. We have Larry Wilmore which I went on a last minute guest cancellation. I got roped in. We talked about LeBron to the Lakers. We talked about conspiracies, Bill Cosby, Trump. It went all over the place. It was kind of insane. I think people think I'm insane now about some of the conspiracies. Thing. That's fine. I'm, I'm old. I am insane. So we have that. I also went on uh, channel 33 with Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins. And we broke down this new Oscars thing about, the popular category that they're allegedly adding. We went from being horrified to then salvaging it. And by the end, we fixed the Oscars. So congratulations to us. We also have a rewatchables that uh, went up Thursday, which was about my best friend's wedding. The strangest, most successful rom-com of all time. A lot of Julia Roberts breakdown, a lot of breakdown about should her character have just gone to jail at some point during that movie and a whole bunch of other deep dive stuff. Me, Amanda Dobbins, Juliet Littman. So if you love the rewatchables, that's the one for this week. There's a controversial one coming next week that I, I think uh, I can't even describe. Don't forget to check out theringer.com, NFL coverage, movies. The staff is very excited about the Meg. A lot of writing about the Meg. Now that we don't have succession to write about anymore, this is a dead time for pop culture. This is We're in the lull right now. Can't, can't hide it. We're in a lull. The Red Sox are on pace for 120 wins. And uh, and that's about the only thing exciting in my life right now, other than my son's a lunatic. Coming up, we're going to talk to Eddie Huang, who has not been on this podcast before. Basketball, food, you'll like it. If you've been listening to this podcast this long, there's no way you're not going to enjoy that conversation. And then Jim Miller, who wrote the ESPN book and the SNL book way back in the day, who has a new podcast called Origins. He's going to talk about ESPN, Nick Saban, Saturday Night Live, and a whole bunch of other things. That is all coming up first. Pearl Jam. Wow, I don't know how this hasn't happened before. Eddie Huang's here. I'm excited, man. Big fan. I think you're my first Taiwanese guest. I'm excited. Thank you. You never had Jeremy Lin? No. Alexander That would Wang? be a good podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy's too mellow. <laughs> yeah. We need a third party for that one. Yeah. You're well, wearing, I mean, this is, we're taping this Thursday afternoon. You just have all Summer League gear on, everything. including a Summer League fanny pack. Yo, I, I bought about $350 of Summer League monogrammed things at Summer yeah. League. It was, it was the greatest because if you're a Nick fan, then Summer League is your playoffs. You know? Yeah, well, this was, there's actually real signs of hope this year. That, summer League's usually 
Porzingis two years ago was fun. Yeah. He had the mat, the head-to-head matchup with Okafer. And everybody's Yo. like, whoa, Porzingis, okay. And, and then I'm, last year was kind of a downer. Yeah, and then, you know, for Taiwanese people, Summer League's epic because that's when Jeremy Lin went at John Wall. And that was like the epic Summer League matchup, the 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 game heard around the world for Taiwanese They're people. They're doing, there's a five-hour documentary coming <laughs> yeah, about yeah, that yeah. now. Yeah. It's yeah. John Wall versus Lin. <laughs> We had a, we have a group chat and it was funny yesterday. People were like, "All right, is Clay Thompson a Hall of Famer?" I'm like, "Yo, I'm I'm Clay Thompson all day Hall of Famer." And some fool was like, "What about Jeremy Lin?" I'm like, "Dude, Jeremy Lin was a Hall of Famer for a weekend. You, you know, it yeah, was like, two, two and a half maybe weeks. A weekend. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you this: though. Raptors game, Lakers game. It yeah. was the best best three week stretch for the Knicks in 15 years. <laughs> Yo, the greatest. The it was greatest. one of the great Asian American sports moments of all time. Yes, possibly. Is it, it's not number one, is it? I, I've actually, I wrote a screenplay where I actually d- discussed this for about five pages of it. Yeah. Number number one Asian American athletic moment of all time has to be Michael Chang Lendl, like Chang Lendl oh. French Open. Oh yeah, right? that was awesome. Yeah, during Tiananmen Square. So like that's gotta be one. And which, was that the same match when he had the hamstring issues? Uh, or when he was getting was cramps? cramps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the cramps That was an game. amazing sports moment. Amazing, amazing yeah. sports moment. Uh, funny enough, uh, you know, then I think Jeremy Lin Linsanity is probably number two. Linsanity was off the hook. Yeah. And then the th- third greatest <laughs> Asian athlete sports moment doesn't even require, it doesn't even involve athletics. It's just Yao Ming carrying the flag on 888. You know, that was, that was pretty okay, lit. The lucky- yeah, yeah, the Olympic ceremony. So <laughs> no one was actually doing anything athletic. It was just Yao carrying the flag. And I definitely cried. Did in they do that room. intentionally, the 888? Yeah, we do they everything. Must have, eight. Right? Like when I tip at a restaurant, the last numbers is always eight eight. Like, yeah, yeah. I never really knew that until I started playing uh, cards at casinos. <laughs> and yeah, the unusual impact that eights seem to have. I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah. And then it was like, you know, you you understand, like yeah. blah blah blah. The like, eights, oh, okay. The strategic placements of like lions and dragons, like no one would bet at MGM because you had to walk into the mouth of a lion. And right. Casper's like, nah, I'm not playing back a rat there. <laughs> <laughs> what are the other superstitions like that? Eights uh, the biggest one. Eights huge. Uh, feng shui. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, you yeah, feel yeah. cramped. Like the Bellagio. Like Asians love the Bellagio because you go in and it just feels like dim sum carts could come out of anywhere. Like there's right, a big right. fountain. The the sun is beaming. You know, like you just feel like you could take the house down there. So like that's excellent. Yeah, I remember playing cards in the mid '90s and people getting excited because they got two eights to split, and I just it didn't make sense in my brain. I'm like. Yeah, so you either have a 16 or two eights. Like what's yeah great about that, but like really you could feel the confidence. Like, yeah. oh, this is a good sign. I'm, so then Yeah, I split eights. I know Shane Smith told me when he was just like always split eights. And I was like, all right. I actually shoot. think you're, well, you either do that or surrender. Yeah, yeah. You got to split or surrender. David Chang, who I think you know. Yeah. He is, oh man. I played on. blackjack with him too, but he lost every hand I sat with Whoa. him. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a big surrenderer. Yeah, he loves surrendering. <laughs> he loves surrendering. He feels yeah. like it's like one of the only advantages you have. It's like, so it's an advantage to give away half your money, but he got us all into it. We were all surrendering. Oh, really? Yeah, there was like a surrender frenzy. Yeah, I can't do insurance or surrender. I never do insurance. Yeah, I'm like, let's fucking burn the house down. Well, because at some point you're there to gamble. Yeah. But like, I do think if you have a 16 against a king or something- and you just look at it and you go, all right, my odds right now are 18%. Yeah. So maybe getting, I get it. 
Yeah. I never really feel great about it though. No, I, I kind of, I'm funny. I always stay on 16. I'm just like, stay and see what the dealer does. But like surrendering smart. That's the smart money is to surrender. I just, it's not I'm fun. Not, I'm not that smart. I'm you feel, very, yeah, you feel empty. Yeah. Also, it's funny, like with Vegas, I never really leave a winner because until like, you never win enough to want to leave. Like even if you're on a hot streak, you're not like, oh, I'm going to leave. I'm up five. I'm up 10. You're, you're not going to leave. But then when you're like, I'm down 15, I should leave, you know? So. Well, this is <laughs> this is David Cho's big gambling revolution. What what did he do? He, he used was to just, play baccarat, but he would go and he would he would have he would bring somebody with him, and then if he got up a lot of money in ten minutes, he would just leave. Oh, he tried to figure it out. It was almost like tantric sex, but for gambling. Oh wow! He would. It was the reverse of holding out. It was like if he was up, that's it. I have the advantage. I'm out. I'm gone. Yo, I'm. I see. I it's need the smart. action. I just. I want action. I want to be in there. And I'm like. I'm. I bring this much money. I'm willing to knock on wood, lose this much money, but I need three days of action. So summer league is basically your Lollapalooza. Yeah, summer league. It's your greatest. personal Lollapalooza. It's, it's the greatest. You have mediocre, <laughs> mediocre NBA basketball <laughs> with unproven veterans and rookies. Yeah. And then gambling. And I just fight and with, some good food. Yeah, yeah. And and I fight with all the Laker fans there because tons of Laker fans drive and you know. You it's could, very Laker centric. Yeah, you could tell they're like twenty five year old Armenian dudes whose parents still bought them all their jerseys. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you motherfuckers don't have jobs, but you got opinions. I'm going to argue with you. <laughs> Are you ready for the the Laker fan frenzy that's about to happen? Oh, right I, now? I can't wait. I've been telling everybody I can to put me in touch with Lance Stevenson because I'm yeah. like, I want to open because Brooklyn has amazing like chicken wing fry hard Chinese spots. Yeah. Like just bulletproof Chinese food. And there's no good bulletproof Chinese food in LA. I'm like, Lance, I want to open- It's on the outskirts. It's in San Gabriel. Yeah. Well, they don't even, they don't even that? do that. They don't even like bulletproof, like the DC mumbo sauce, like fried chicken, you know, the like yeah. Brooklyn, Brooklyn fried chicken, like halal fried chicken and fried rice. Like that's just a genre of food that doesn't exist in LA. Well, why don't we start it? Yeah. So I'm like, yo, start a restaurant. I want to open a place called Lance Stevenson's that is like a secret tiki bar that just serves bulletproof Chinese food. That would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, Lance <laughs> is probably not going to be on the team in about five months. Yeah. But then he could be at the restaurant. Then he could just work there. <laughs> yeah. He could just post. <laughs> I'm like, yo, you could get as many shots as you want here. <laughs> I love the... I do feel like Lance Stevenson opening at a Chinese food restaurant owns the internet for like 36 hours. Yeah. Like what better PR could you have and just as a, a restaurant? Imagine a secret tiki bar in LA with that food called Coney Island. Do you know what I mean? A tiki bar yeah. and Coney. I'm just like, Lance, if you're listening, bro, I'm ready to open Coney Island. All right, Lance. <laughs> this, is, this is a great idea. Yeah. How does a Knicks fan talk shit to a Laker fan though? You're like, you're like 10 to... I don't count the Minneapolis titles. So you're at was, least 10 titles behind them. Yeah, we're terrible. I was basically just yelling at them. Like, did you actually buy your jersey? Did you buy that? Did your dad buy you those shoes at Kith? Do you know what I mean? I was more like going at them that they didn't have their own money. You should, you go by like, <laughs> well, you also have 1970 and 1973. Yeah, yeah man, we fucked you up in 1970. Yeah, well, Frazier. I wasn't even born. You know <laughs> what I mean? semantics. I, I know more. I know Clyde more for that. He has Clyde's wine and dine. You right. Know, like I was more there for that ribbon cutting and his announcing know? all that shit. Yeah. I love, 
I love Clyde. But no, yeah, there's nothing we can really say to Lakers fans. There's nothing we can say to any fans besides maybe like Hawks fans. Nets fans. You Nets, got, you fan, have. Yeah, yeah, you got, Nets you, fans are the worst. Like, they're like your Clippers. Yeah. That's the only That's the only team you could have moved to New York and Knicks fans were still like, nah, I'm not switching. You know? Right. <laughs> they're that bad. They would have been better off disbanding the team. And forming a new expansion team. Yeah. Like, and just been like, our history's gone. We're now a different team. Yeah. like We're the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. yeah there you go. Or yeah. yeah, the Brooklyn Lance Stevensons. We would have like, I might've switched if they were like, we're the Lance Stevensons. It's kind of, when you think about it, it's a spectacular failure. Yeah. They go into New York right as the Knicks had this little brief resurgence, but then crater completely. Yeah. Oh my they God. have- Unlimited money to spend. Yeah. They're in Brooklyn where the entire internet is. Basically 92% of the internet's there. Vice yeah. is there. All these different things are there. All young New Yorkers are moving there. The stadium's right in the middle of everything. It's like, how do you fuck that up? It's yeah. impossible. I mean, definitely they should have changed the name. And yeah. then also the mascot was like this weird knight. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah, like, who never is felt right. the knight? And it was, it was they they definitely bumblefucked the It was like it was thing. dark too. The only good thing about- Going there is the food's really good. It's like unusually good for basketball. Good. Yeah, Yo, I used to love the Buffalo Boss chicken tenders. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And Barclays is great for fights. Like I love going for the fights. What do you mean? Like boxing matches. Oh, the boxing. Yeah. But I also you're fights, about fights because, in the stands. like, you know, I, I really, I've been telling people though, the Barclays Center, the I think they want to kill poor people because the upper bowl is on such an incline. Like people die. Want people every to game. tumble over. Yeah, I think they're trying to kill poor people in there. <laughs> Like if you can't afford to unclutter bowl, Brooklyn, yeah, they're like trying to gentrify it by killing people in the upper bowl. <laughs> well, that's a, you must have gone to Yankee Stadium, right? Yeah, yeah the upper yeah. deck in the old Yankee Stadium was the most harrowing place to be in the United States. Yes, yeah, that was. It that, was like leaning out of a skyscraper. You're what? You're going down. You've had five beers. You're holding drinks, and it's yeah. like what, there's ninety things that can go wrong. I'm convinced that was part of Giuliani's like clean up New York. <laughs> He's like, can you make the deck more treacherous? Yeah, 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 can yeah. we put grease on the stairs? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just fucking make it as dangerous as possible. What do you think? Of, where did when you lived in New York? Where'd you live? Were you Brooklyn? I I started off on Orchard Street. I used to pay this lady in the Aravel first store, and I stayed upstairs because she like had a broker rep the whole the building for her. But like my parents became friends with her because my dad was looking at cheap furs. You know, like yeah. my dad. My dad sees like a cheap fur, or fake fur spot. He's like, oh, I'm going in. You know, yeah. and it was like a Russian Chinese business connection. <laughs> right. And uh, like, if you've ever been to Beijing, like Russians come buy our shit and then they bring their shit and we buy it. And it's like, it's always a great deal. So my dad starts talking to her and he's like, yeah, I like brought my son. We're like looking for an apartment. He's moving to New York. This is like right after college. And um, she's like, oh, you know, you can avoid a broker fee if you want to stay upstairs. Just have him pay me cash under the table. When the broker comes, he just has to pretend like he's not there. So I lived on Orchard for a year. Then I was East Village and then Chinatown and then Fort Green. I've been in Fort Green for a minute, right behind the Barclays. Oh, he's, but yeah. before Barclays is Barclays. Before, before Barclays. Where do you live now? Uh, well, ULA? Yeah, I'm downtown LA. I live on like 8th and Olive. And oh. then uh, I still got the place in Brooklyn, but I'm in LA a lot more. LA yeah. has transformed over these last, I've been here 15 years. Um, It's really interesting to watch it happen. Yeah. But from a food standpoint, it's been really cool. I, I really feel like the LA food scene right now is- It's better than As New interesting York. as it's been. Yeah. The two pockets of food you don't have is great Jewish food. Well, three pockets is great Jewish food, the Caribbean food, and uh, Bulletproof Chinese. Those are like the three things I miss 
from New York. You know, otherwise- When you, you say the great, like you don't feel like the delis are up to par or like other kind of, yeah, other kind of food? The funny thing with the delis here is you have the greatest deli besides Zingerman's in Ann Arbor. Zingerman's in Ann Arbor is like a real monster. Yeah. But Langer's, Langer's has better pastrami sandwich than Katz's, than, yeah. uh, than uh, Second Avenue Deli. Um, but it's just like you have one. There's not like a bagel spot. The smoke fish game, it's like Italian dudes selling you smoke fish and locks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm I kinda like, you know You're dubious. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a little dubious, you know. So you don't have the smoke fish game or the bagels that are as good. But the bagel scene have, is bad here. It's bad. It's the bagel scene's bad. I gave up bagels, so in. I don't miss it, but it was it's pretty rough. Oh wow. Factors on Beverly Hills is good the, as oh, a yeah? deli. I heard, I heard about that. It's an old that. school giant deli. They got like really good soups and big sandwiches. And yeah. I, I like that place. That's the, the best one the I've stumbled into. The two best delis is Bay Cities in Santa Monica. Bay City's phenomenal. All right. Yeah. And, and Langer's, you know, but those are like in two different cities. One's in like- And Echo meanwhile, Park. New York, it's like every five blocks. Every five blocks. Like City Sub is so good in Brooklyn. Like City Sub, I love. That's probably my favorite. And what do you, you think would about love that? Because it's like a grinder style. How about the Koreatown scene? It's the best. Yeah. I, I stay eating Koreatown, Thai town, uh, Chinese Taiwanese food and SGV. And then the taco trucks, like people, people from New York, the biggest complaint you first come here is where's my Jamaican spot and where's my bodega. But once you get into the taco trucks and you strategically find your taco joints, those are like amazing. And the third one is where's my sauna where John Travolta might walk in at <laughs> three in the morning. Those Yo, are the three, those I, are the three things. You would love this. I sat with John Travolta. In a sauna? For, no, no, at, at Fenway. Oh. <laughs> but it was equally as weird as sitting with him in a sauna because the dude- It we definitely were, wasn't. We were, we were first row at the Devil Rays uh, Red Sox playoff game. Yeah. Division, the division oh, round yeah. when Poppy hit the walk-off homer. And I was I was with them and we- Big walked, comeback game. It was amazing. But we lost amazing the series, game. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but John Travolta was there sipping an espresso, just pounding espressos, multiple espressos in the front row. And I was like, wow. He's trying to regenerate I believe his everything growth. I heard about yeah. you now. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, did you just tap my foot? What's your interpretation of LA? <laughs> What's your interpretation of uh, LA as a sports town? It's a funny sports town. Like, you know, LA, I've started to love. It's like, you got to find your taco trucks. You got to find your basketball runs. Uh, I found my boxing gym and then I found my friends, you know. In that order. In that order. Yeah. Like, because friends is harder than the, the taco truck was easier to find. I found Leo's and I found a lady down the block from me. Then, you know. Where's Leo's taco truck? Leo's is in Echo Park, right across oh, okay. from the tennis courts. Okay. So I play tennis with my buddy Greg and then we go to Leo's. Mm. And then, um, but uh, the the sports scene, it's it's a weird sports town because, you know, a lot of people like in Hollywood, they do, they're, they do productions with athletes or they've met an athlete. So then they think they know sports and they yeah. want to talk to you about it. And then very quickly you realize like in LA, there's just people like to talk about things they have very minimal knowledge about and act like they have more knowledge about it. So I see through that. It's one of my favorite pastimes to just pick that apart like a butterfly. Yeah. It is yeah. so easy to tell who actually follows sports. Yeah. Like with you, you're dressed like like you were at summer league camp. <laughs> So I'm dressed I, I like knew, the worst I was like, guy this guy the, the NBA. Yeah. This guy really fucking loves Summer League. Yeah, I love Summer League. But there's man. some other ones, the mispronunciations of some names. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it'll 
people not understanding the salary cap. Well, next year we'll be able to get Clay Thompson, Kawhi, and Jimmy yeah. Butler. And it's like, no, you won't. Yeah. You actually and, and that's the impossible. recycling of hot takes. Like yeah. if you like I listen to all the NBA podcasts, I'm like, you just recycled a hot take. Like I listen to Yeah, I or like the first ten minutes of Coward Show or like my podcast, like they'll they'll go to their one spot to steal three opinions and yeah. then just go. But you were legendary at the runs because I play Lion Center and you have a legendary. Oh yeah, it was there mid, two years. Mid, mid range baseline jumper. You heard about There's that? The scouting report on you. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so honored. <laughs> Nobody believes yeah. me now. I'm so washed up. No, you, you know, I mean, if you play with Bill, just keep him off, keep him off the corner. You know, that's what I heard. That's incredible. <laughs> Jacoby and I went for two years, and then my body broke down. I had to stop playing, but. Yeah, yeah. I they would play. I one of the crazy things about pickup here was they would play eleven by ones, but the three pointers were twos. Yeah, which so is it bad was like math. The, it was like Daryl Morey ball times a million, just yeah. people jacking up threes. Yeah. So I, I was like Popovich. I was like, look, I'm good from nineteen. I'm gonna continue to take my nineteen footer for yeah. one point. See, I but make, it's gonna go in. I make the racial stereotypes work for me at basketball because I'm like, I'll argue with people. I'm like, look, I look like you shouldn't pass me the ball. Fine, don't pass me the ball, but we should play twos and threes to fifteen. Like, yeah. if you're going to trust me on something, it's the numbers. Play twos and threes to 15. Yeah. And then they're like, all right, well, if we don't have to pass you the ball, cool. <laughs> yeah, it should have, or it should have been twos and threes to like 17 or whatever. Yeah. When we were going there, it was really interesting. We used to we used to call uh, the first court was where all the best players were. That was MSG. Yeah, and then you have the international court. The second court was the middle one. It was it was basically all Asian. Yeah. Um, there was some, we get some international and then the third court was just the wild card court. Yeah. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was bad. Yeah. Um, but the, the goal was to get on the first court because yes. that's, you want to play with the best. Yeah. And the only time it would get fucked up was if, um, like the UFC left tackle was yes. like, Hey, I want to play for two hours. And it's when like, the football you're player six foot five, up. 300. We don't have anyone who can guard you. Yeah. And like somebody always loses a cheekbone because whoever yeah. whoever played on the football team and wanted cardio, they'd come play. And you're just like, dude, this guy is about to like Rick Mahorn everybody in here. But the Chinese court's always interesting to me because it's like, wow, they're running like a five-man motion off. There's no big man. So it's just like running in circles. It's a lot it's, of running. It's a lot of running. It actually was a good place to get exercise. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. The Chinese court is the best road work if you're boxing, like ever. Yeah, it, it's just like, con like Rick Adelman would have like jizzed his pants watching. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hustling. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a very hustle court. Yeah, yeah, I used to love the dynamics of that. It was fun for me because- Especially I started going on TV the second year we were going. So we would get recognized more, but people were, cool, were totally cool. cool. And it was yeah. never like one of those things like, I got him, I'm going to shut him down. They, yeah. It was more like worked in our benefit. We'd have like a couple of the best players like, Simmons, Jacoby, come with us. Oh, sick. So That's it, it was like, I yeah. don't know, it was fun. I, I thought I really had a good time. I miss, how old are you now? I'm 36. Oh, so you have a lot of time I can left. still ball. You yeah. got five years left. Yeah, fuck. I, uh, <laughs> I really miss it. It yeah. was honestly the my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Well, you could. It was I how mean, I met I'll a lot of my there, friends. There's an old guy run. There's a couple old I'm guys. Too, uh, the there. problem for me now is you get hurt. Yeah. And uh, and the other problem is, you'll understand this someday. You hit like 43, 44, and your brain still works, but your brain can't totally tell your body what to do. So there'll be a rebound, and and you have position. You're like, hey, there, there's the ball. <laughs> I should go get that. And your body's <laughs> just watching it. And then somebody jumps over you and gets the ball. And you're like, I, I why didn't I get that? I don't understand what just Fuck. happened. 
So See, yeah, it's a bummer. I, I always just, when I get old and I feel old, I just go to like basketballreference.com and I look up like Kevin Willis stats <laughs> or like Otis Thorpe. I'm like, all right, so he, Kevin Willis was still doing it. Like I'll be okay, you know? <laughs> Let's take a quick break. Okay. Let's talk about Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry, not to mention the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. It is delivered right to your door in a small, how do they do that size box with free shipping and returns in the US and Canada. But the best part, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100 night risk-free sleep on a trial after you, after all, you spend one third of your life sleeping. So you should be comfortable. They have mailed us one of these. They were fantastic. The crazy part is how it just shows up in a box and you unpack and you have an awesome mattress. We have had it at my house, I think for the last two years. And uh, I can vouch personally, good mattress. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash BS and using BS at checkout. That's casper.com slash BS. Offer code BS for $50 off your mattress. Purchase college students. Think about it. That's 50 more dollars to spend on uh cheap beer go for it terms and conditions apply so do you enjoy as much as we do at the ringer when teams do really stupid shit because it's my favorite thing yeah it's 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 always so surprising to me like the drop off between the top eight players or the top eight coaches or the top eight gms because after that it just bums yeah you know there's there's pretty much eight good dudes or or women like whatever it is you right. know eight eight good people at any job i really feel and then it tails off. And then when you get to the, the tail end, oh, that's when the Trey Young trade happens. That's <laughs> Yeah, I, I love listening to that Trey Young episode you had. It was like with the the Ryan dude with the E, Ryan. Ryan Rosillo. Yeah, you guys were killing him. And I, I agree with I every one of them. I got super upset. Because that, that to me feels like it's going to be as bad as George Hill Kawhi. Oh, I, th I Maybe potentially worse. could be worse. But yeah. the best part for trades like that for me is when they have the chance to take the franchise guy, but then they they get more assets and roll it over for the chance a year from now to trade draft the franchise guy. It's like, just, yeah. what are you doing? And Ryan was talking about like how it was a headline thing and it was like, hey, we want to like we get be people the Warriors. excited and yeah. be the worst. I was like, you know what would have got people excited in Atlanta is Luka Doncic's mom. <laughs> Luka Doncic's mom would have been my number one pick in this draft. Oh, is she, I, was so, she good looking? Oh my God. Really? Yeah, smoking. So like, I always feel like like a like a, like a fully mature Anna Kornikova. I was like, holy shit! Seriously? Yeah. No disrespect, Luca Doncic. No disrespect. I'm. Well, just you need like, a lot of confidence. The mom and is swag, a five-tool though. player. Well, <laughs> if you're hip, you need a lot of swag though, because your friends have been joking about how they want to have sex with their mom since you were like twelve, <laughs> and, you, and you have to learn how to defend yourself. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which he's is not much different than getting clotheslined out of drive to the basket. Yeah, he's definitely got armor. You know what I mean? Like he, I like it. He's got. I love how he's playing with all the grownups overseas. And of course, the league picks that apart. And they're like, well, he tailed off near the end. You mean, oh, he t I'm sorry, he tailed off in game 85? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's 18. He played 80, 98 game regular yeah. season. He can do anything that you want on the floor. And and when people were starting to talk about explosiveness, I'm like, basketball is not a 40-yard dash game. Right. It's it's about angles. It's like more like boxing than it is And burst like and speed and anticipating. Yeah. All that shit. Yeah. yeah. Larry Bird, my favorite player, wasn't- yeah. 
wasn't wouldn't have been great in a foot race. No. But uh, but like you watch the steal on Isaiah Thomas and he's moving even before Isaiah's passing the ball. Yeah. I think Doncic has some of that. A lot of it. I'm yeah. excited for these rookies. Yeah. And and the one thing I like to see with Doncic is it's which is interesting and, and this may sound weird, but when he dribbles, his hands are separate from the respective leg and foot. Like some guys, it's like, you know, if they're going to like dribble, right, it's going to come whole back. Body goes, yeah, Their yeah. whole body goes that way. And it's like, because I box, it's one of those things. You try to confuse people by not matching. Like every time I step with my right, I'm going to throw with my right, you know, like, or if I'm going to uppercut, it's not always going to be a hook coming back. Like the uppercut to the straight left, if you're a southpaw, is like people just don't see it. And Doncic's yeah. hands don't always match his feet. And I'm like, he's going to get people. Man, it was like that. James Harden's yes. obviously the greatest yes. example of that. Yeah. Man, James Harden, his body is never doing what it seems like it should have been doing. No. And nobody can figure him out. And that's why he scores 30 points a game and yeah. loses in the Western Finals every year because <laughs> of some sort of tragedy. I mean, I feel like they could have beat the Warriors. I mean, they they were up on the Warriors, but it's like, I, I don't know, man. Like, who who the hell is going to ever It's hard to get closer than that. Yeah. It's I'm insane. now buying Lakers stock. I actually think the Lakers are going to be good. I yeah. think it's funny that people think this is going to be a throwaway season. No, they have I, the best player in the in the league when he wants to be, and great fans, and a bunch of young guys, and they'll be really hard to beat at home. And and I, I'm a weird. I'm into federalism. Like it's like, all right, you're gonna. It's not a throwaway year. They're gonna experiment and like try to figure out some sort of different way to play. I think. Yeah. I think it's kind of actually genius. You know. Do you go so to these games? Do you like going to Laker games? I go to Clipper games because it's too. like the fans are more fun at Clipper games. It's like a <laughs> lot sad. of just cheap families, like yeah. crazy frugal Asians are like at the Clipper games. I'm into it. I'm excited that they're back because I got the season tickets in 04 and it was like getting season tickets to just a train wreck. Yeah. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. It was like $100 a game and it's I got to watch guys stink eye each other on the court and not try and... um. I got to see the other players and the other teams. And then they became good. Yeah. And it, it never really kind of fit in with who they were. And now they're kind of back to this weird hodgepodge. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck they are. And they were good in a bad way. Like Blake Griffin, if you like basketball, you don't want to watch Blake Griffin dribble off his foot with Chris Paul on the team. Right. You know, I'm like, what are they, did ISO at the top for Blake Griffin? Like you the have first Chris year Paul. Of, first year of Blake was amazing though. Yeah, first year of Blake's That first cool. Love City year was pretty great. Yeah. And that was really fun to go to those games. Then when he tried to do his Antoine Walker impersonations, I was like, dude, come on. Like, I haven't seen anyone dribble off their foot or throw the yeah. ball out of bounds like this since Antoine. It's amazing <laughs> the Knicks didn't trade for him. Yeah, yeah. He's a classic Nick. Him like, and Antoine. Oh, my God. Him, Antoine. They're like Steve Can Francis. we get you four years too late? Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got you. You want to throw the ball out of bounds? Fucking come to New York. <laughs> <laughs> they have a habit. That's why my Nick fans I know who are already very focused on KD. Yeah. And... I've I've listened to all the conspiracy theory rabbits. Rich Kleiman loves the Knicks. Yeah. He'll bring him there. He knows. Rich Kleiman knows. He grew up here. He knows this is the biggest thing KD can do. Yeah. But in classic Knicks fashion, they would get him when he has like 50,000 minutes in his odometer and is just starting to break down. So this, this is a funny one. And I said this last year during the draft because I was a huge Jason Tatum fan. Like I watched Jason oh, Tatum in college. My and boy. Was, yeah. I wanted the Knicks. I was like, I would trade KP for Tatum and then like the two. I think Celtic the Celtics picks. would have done that. They all, I think there was on the table. There was that Phoenix trade that was on the table and the Celtics one. Cause I was like, dude, I would take Tatum and like two of the Celtics picks for KP. You know? I, I think, I think what the Celtics wanted to do was 
I think they would have traded that pick for Porzingis. Yeah. But I think that was the offer. Yeah. And Phil Jackson came in. He's like, all right, we'll do it for Jalen Brown, that pick, and four number ones. And they were just like, are you fucking serious? Nah. Like, Old man? Jason Tatum and two first rounders would have got it done. Well, now the- you have Kevin Knox, the, yeah. the the slightly poor man's Jason Tatum, hopefully. Yeah. yeah I don't I, think it would be I as good Kevin as Jason Knox. Tatum, but he's got the same kind of the yeah. shoulders and the 6'9", and he's got the inside-outside game, potentially. Yeah. I liked him. He's I was a little impressed bit, by him at Summer League. Yeah, I was very... I love Kevin Knox. He's a little bit more... I think he may end up having the better jumper. He may be better on the curls and the jumpers, but Tatum has that side-to-side. It's like when you see yeah. a safety, like Kevin Knox, if he was a safety, more like Cam Chancellor. Like Tatum is more like Earl Thomas. Like That dude's going to go sideline to sideline. Yeah, there's two hips. good signs with Tatum. One is that... By the way, my staff is so tired of hearing me talk about Tatum. I mean, but he's It's amazing. been a running joke at the ringer. Um, one thing, the biggest criticism for him is he's is he doesn't seem to realize that he's as good as he is, which is something you realize over time. And then uh, the second thing is that he went to Duke. Yeah, smart dude. Super smart. No, that's, I you would think, say it's a bad thing. You think so? Well, no, I'm just, it's hard for me to get around that. Oh, I, I hate we have, Duke. We have JJ Reddick on our podcast network. He's helped me yeah. kind of feel better about Duke, um, but I'm still not totally there. Yeah, I mean, I hate Duke, but like they produce good players. And I mean, this is one of the things in the group chat, though. Like, there's a couple guys who are like, Duke, you know, for how much talent they have, I don't know, Shashevsky makes them better players. I'm like, actually, he does. He changes his system every year, caters them to dudes. Like, it's if they come to the NBA and they don't do well, it ain't, it ain't Duke's. Fault. I like your group chat. Our group chat is What's fire. How many people in the group chat? There's about like nine people and it started from uh, our Vegas summer league trip. So we yeah. call it it's girls trip, but make it ball. <laughs> so <laughs> right. it's a pretty good group chat. Uh, a bunch of the guys on play Slack? with your lions. No, no, no. Just on like iPhone. Oh. Yeah. 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 So it's, a, it's a good chat. We just, every day there's some dumb ass that's like, all right, all right. Is this guy a top 50 player or not? You know, like can can Clay Thompson lead a team by himself? Like the, the Clay Thompson is the most divisive dude in the group chat because I'm I'm like a huge Clay Thompson fan. I he's but, a good litmus test for how much you know about basketball. Yeah. Cause to find a player that good with all those skills who's then, completely unselfish. Yes. And who, by the way, if you ask anywhere in your team who's your favorite teammate, they're like Clay Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. He's like across the board. They yeah. fucking love Clay Thompson. Yeah. I think he is like Kawhi Leonard with less jelly. Do you know what I mean? Like if you made a peanut butter sandwich with syrup instead of jelly, like that's Clay Thompson. It's Kawhi Leonard with that Uncle Dennis. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love Clay, man. I, I, he's, he's him and like Joe Ingles might be my two favorite NBA players. Joe, unbelievable. Yeah. You know Joe Ingles is like thirty. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Joe Ingles is. He didn't get to the league till he was like twenty six. I and mean, the Clippers let him go. That yeah. was a crazy classic Clippers. I, I got a question for you. Yeah. Would you rather do you did you rather want Gordon Hayward or Joe Ingles that offseason last week? Oh, Gordon Hayward. You want a Hayward? Yeah. Okay. Let's not get carried away I'm, with Joe Ingles. I'm, I love Joe Ingles. I don't know. I I mean I wanted him instead of Tim Hardaway Jr. I was like, fuck, we signed Tim Hardaway for 70. I was about to jump out a window. Well, especially the cap space aspects of it. <laughs> I mean, we got some of the worst, like the Joakim Noah contract. That was bad. And Joakim, oh, it seems like he has real problems now too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love Joakim and we see him in the, in the streets all the time. Like he's in the club, but I'm like, if you really love New York fam, you will retire. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> like if you love New York as much as you say, please just retire. Well, you just listed part of the problem. 
Yeah. We see him in the clubs all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely out here pouring it up. Westbrook's like trapped in some high school gym right now working on 380 uh, step back jumpers. Yeah. <laughs> Joakim Noah is like nursing a hangover or something. Yeah, but yeah poor Russell, Joakim. Somebody just get Russell to practice chest passes, dog. I w- <laughs> or moving without the ball. Yeah, try That's something. one of my favorite subplots this year. And, we, and you play basketball, so you get this. You know- they're, they're the guys that show up and they're going to help your team win, but it's not going to be fun to play with them. No. And you have to make, especially if you're waiting and you're two games away, three games away, and somebody's like, hey, man, you want to run? And you know who it is and you've watched him play and you're like, all right, if I play with this guy, he's going to shoot 50% of our shots and insist on distributing the other 50%. And I'm just not going to have that much fun, but I might stay on the court for two hours because yeah. he's that good. Yeah. And I feel like Westbrook has become the NBA version of that guy where Paul George looks at it as like, <sighs> I get to stay in the court. I get to go to round two. Yeah. I'll make, I'll make the max. Yup. But don't you think he's that, that guy in the NBA? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I play with that guy like at, at, at my basketball with my boy, Mitch, who's amazing. And we stay on the court for like five games. But he's like Harden. Like he wants to ISO. He yeah, doesn't get out want of his anyone way. on his side. Go stand he wants over no there. screen. And he dribbles and dribbles and he slow plays people. He has a real good like switch speed game. But then he'll kick it to you. And I'm like, dude, I've been open for five plays. You didn't kick it to me. Now yeah. you throw it to me. And, and you then want he stink eyes you. He stink eyes me. That's why Victor like, Oladipo left. Yeah. I was like, dude. It's like, what the fuck, dude? You look at me for 10 minutes. Yeah. Because if you're a shooter and you're open, you're ready and you're cocked and, and you need the ball. And if you're not going to pass it, then I don't have any rhythm with you. You know, I was always amazed the Cleveland guys always eventually kind of figured out how to know when LeBron was going to pass to them. Yeah. Because LeBron could basically every play, you don't know what's going to happen. But Corver was always kind of ready for it. And so yeah. was JR. Not that JR ever made him. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, when I play with my boy Mitch, I'm like Delonte West. I'm like, fuck, I'm clanking like corner threes. But I just have no rhythm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, Mitch. <laughs> yeah. yeah I always, I'm sorry huddle. all the time. I'm like, Motherfuck. my bad, Mitch. I was like, yo, just throw it to me when I'm on the wing. Like, throw initial offense, <laughs> give it to me on the wing. <laughs> so you're one of those guys professionally that your hands are in a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. yeah. You're like a hard person to describe in a sentence. Was that intentional or? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think it was intentional. Like I never liked to be tied down to one thing, but I just remember as a kid, like in history books, reading about Renaissance dudes. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then like, you know. uh, What was the first thing you were good at? The first thing I was good at is talking shit. Okay. Pro- pro- like when kids had jokes at school, I was really good at like snapping back and people were like, oh, wow, this he like he will like stab you in the heart. You that know sounds I mean? like my son. Yeah. My son's insults are like a little too good. Kyle, nephew Kyle can agree. Yeah. My son's roasting is like good for age 10. He knows what hurts, you know? Yeah. yeah. He goes right to it. My it's like, shit right. was roasting because there'd be like a bully in class or whatever and I would just be quiet. But then one day the bully'd come for me and I'm like, yo, you're actually, you're insecure. You hate yourself and you probably have a small penis. And like in fourth grade, that's just like <laughs> explosive, you know? And, like, <laughs> and then the bully's my best friend because he's like, yeah. just don't cut me. No one else can hurt me but you. Yeah. So like I was just that kid because I was like, don't come for me because I'm getting beat at home. Right, you know what right. I mean? And uh, so that was my thing. And then writing, um, I like scored really high on the PSAT in like seventh, eighth grade. And I tested into this like talent identification program. 
but I was just a little math. And my mom was like, yo, you should probably like practice English. So I went to Davidson College, took this English course, and I just got really into writing. And not, I'm not even blowing hot air up your ass. I was a big page two fan. Thanks, Because man. you were writing in a way that I was like, wait, I write like this, but my teachers get mad in school. Yeah. And I was like, wait, you're allowed to do this shit. And even first time I ever got published was on page two of the Orlando Sentinel. I wrote about the malice at the palace. And then funny enough, when I was selling fresh off the boat, no one believed in me selling fresh off the boat. I wrote this like 60 page, like everyone wanted a recipe book. And yeah. it was funny. You were, you were a chef at that point. Yeah. yeah. And this was right after David had put out the Momofuku book. So it was like very in vogue to do like the Asian cookbook. And everyone's like, dude, I could get you a huge advance. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to do the cookbook. And I was like, I want to write the Asian coming of age story. Cause all we have is like Joy Luck Club. And yeah. then Tiger Mom was out making us like look terrible. So I- no agent believed in me. I went through a couple agents. They were still cookbook. And then one agent said to me, if you write like two chapters, show it to me. Like, I'll read it. I'm not going to tell you I'm going to sell it, but I'll read it. So I one weekend wrote 60 pages, showed it to my agent, Mark Gerald. Then we had, he, he was like, all right, I believe this. We had meetings at like the five biggest publishing houses a week later. And the last meeting, I go to Random House. You know when you go into Random House, there's all like the amazing books? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, these are cool books, like the books that they make you read in school. I go into the conference room. Before Chris Jackson walks in, I'm looking and I see like your big book of basketball. Yeah. I'm like, oh, all right, they got good books here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. Because I had read- I bet Random House. Yeah, I had read the book and I, I always liked the chapter on like Penny and Weber. Yeah. Right? There's a Penny Weber chapter. And I was like, all right, yeah, I think I could be at Random House. And they're like, you read our books, you read like the other Westmore. I'm like, no, oh, I read that big book of basketball. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like, you know, like you're you're one of the dudes I saw doing a lot of different things. I was always into like, this sounds nerdy, but like, I like Shakespeare. I like Jonathan Swift. I like Mark Twain. I like the Renaissance men. Like I always was like, I just want to express myself. Like, I don't know why... I don't know why we're here. Like the central theme to all my work in writing is like, who knows if there's an afterlife? Who knows what the purpose of this is? I just know it's a lot of fun. And would Summer League be there? Summer, yeah. Is there a Summer League afterlife? Is there a Summer League afterlife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there another <laughs> It's where Mitchell League? Robinson will go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I need just Mitchell get double Robinson. doubles. <laughs> yeah. So I just was like, I don't need to do one thing. There's not one per. I'm just going to have a great time. So I think that's what got me into all these different things. You got a lot of press when you got mad about- uh what they did to your book as a TV show. Like, yeah. Do you regret some of that or you stand by it? You know, I regret sending the emails to the writer, showrunner personally, right? But it was like a power struggle. She she like wasn't that receptive to having me in the room and was kind of like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, all right, well, I feel like I'm being shut out. So I'm going to come for you. But I definitely crossed the line. Yeah. I crossed the line. Yeah. You know, and- Well, there uh, was also- the stakes were pretty high just because um, this is something I, Chang and Cho and like those guys always talk about, the representation. Yeah. Especially on networks. And then when you see the movie and you see these Crazy Rich Asians movie, which a lot of people like. Yeah. And yet Chang and Cho are like, they're like, fuck that movie. We're not going to see that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It's tough. It's that balance of, all right, we're here, but we're not here in the right way. Yeah. It's really tough because we're in the like ice age of Asian America media still, you know? But the thing for me that gave me a lot of confidence as a kid was like, I started to watch like 
fifth wave Chinese cinema, like Zhang Yimou, Chen Kai, so Raise the Red Lantern, Pharaoh, My Concubine, Beijing Bicycle. I would watch like Edward Yang, like Taiwanese New <coughs> Wave films, like Rebel of the Neon God I saw recently too, and like um, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. You know, like, so I always knew like, in Kurosawa, I'm like, Asian people make fire shit. It's never been a question to me that we could make this. It's that like, can we make our stuff in our voice and in our skin in America? That's been the challenge. It's never been to me to prove that I could do it or Asians could do it. I always knew we could do this stuff. It said in America, you have to kind of do it their way. And, um, you know, I, I felt a lot of responsibility when we did Fresh Off the Boat. I did it. I had a lot of hesitation but I knew we needed to get on base. Just like it is very important that Crazy Rich Asians is out, but I flamed my own show. Cause I was like, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna get on base, but I'm telling you, like I shouldn't have had to go opposite field on this one. I should have I should have had the green light to crank this over to fucking monster, you know? Do you wish you had done that? What was that, 14 or 15? 2014, yeah. Cause nowadays that's probably Hulu or you have, have more control and you're able to control more of it. Yeah. I mean, you I, missed your window by like two years <laughs> of that. I, yeah, I'm okay though. I had to go first. I think it's meant to be like, I think I had the stomach to go first. I think I had the stomach to also like get it on, but then kind of like almost like stab myself so that Asian Americans that did not see themselves in the show could have an out and be like, Hey, I don't have to like this show just cause like all the Asian people are telling me to like this show. I don't have to like it. You know, and I think with Crazy Rich Asians, there's a thing too, because I mean, the Asians that are projected are very successful, very smart, high test scores, wealthy at times, you know, um, those are the Asians that Asians want to see. But there's a lot of poor Asians in yeah. America, especially like Southeast Asians that don't get that much representation, you know? And um, I, I'm happy for this film. I'm super happy to see like, Aquafina, Star, Go Crazy, Constance, Ronnie Chang, all these guys. But like, it is, it is really interesting to be like, you have to support this movie, and kind of like this type of Asian. You know what yeah. I mean? That that feels very strange. Yeah, I don't. I when does it come out? This weekend or next weekend? I think next weekend. I think next week. Like, I was excited for Gook. Like, Justin Chan made that film Gook. And then Christine Cho, like, actually, like, for both of those filmmakers, I went and did their Q&As, like, at the theater. I, like, actually hit them up and was like, yo, I want to do it for you. Yeah. Bring some people because, like, I think your work is great. So, like, I, I did the Q&A for Gook. I did the Q&A for, like, uh, that film Nancy that Christine wrote and directed. There's a lot of good Asian writer, directors, actors working. Crazy Rich Asians don't need my help. It don't need David's help. It don't need anybody's help. That I think it's going to do really well. It's, it's a monster. It's going to sweep clean and I'm happy for it. But like, I just hope that um, it opens the door to more voices as opposed to like, all right, we want this voice yeah, and only this face. So did, when you when you uh, feuded with your own show, did that make it harder for you to sell stuff going forward or not really? Uh, it, it was, it's, a, it's a interesting, it's a good question because it made it harder for me to sell stuff to the people I probably don't need to be selling stuff to, but it definitely made it better for me to sell stuff to the people who like, do get me. I yeah. remember Jonah Hill running up to me at like Charlie Bird, the restaurant. He's like, yo, I've never seen anybody do that. Like did what you did at the TCAs. And then also like that article fresh out the boat when you like flamed your own show. He's like, that was like, that was ballsy dude. And I, I really, I respected that. Like it meant a lot to me. And like a lot of other people that I consider artists, auteurs were like, yo man, like 
I don't know who you are, kid. You just got to LA, but like that was ballsy. And um, I live in, I live with it. I'm, I'm super, I don't regret any of it besides the personal attacks on like, you know, Nanachka. Kyle, don't get any ideas about flaming my podcast. Yeah, I get street cred. <laughs> I got nothing to don't say. Don't learn any lessons from this. What about yeah. restaurants? You can open a restaurant here or anything? I mean, dude, I'm trying to open Coney Island. Like, I'm really super serious about this. So Lance that might Stevenson. actually happen. Yeah, I'm really, I have a partner. My I felt buddy like Jim. you were half serious. I didn't know you were full serious. Oh, no. I like have a property I've identified. I have a partner that my buddy Jim Starr, who owns like the Blood Sows in Hollywood. Like, Ooh. you know, he he does Blood Sows, Kofax, Prime Pizza, Golden State. So he's my partner. We're like, this is like our thing. We want to open Coney Island. <laughs> Where's Koreatown? Uh, Downtown LA? I, I think just so that he doesn't have to travel, it's like most likely going to be Fairfax or something like that. Okay. But then I also want to do something on Saltel. Like I like Saltel. Saltel is like a funky block. I'm into all the businesses there. You so, should open another restaurant called named after like Kevin Knox. Yeah. Wh where? Kevin Knox will kick your ass or <laughs> Kevin <laughs> Knox is the best. Or Knox flavor. Just get all these Knicks fans driving by like Kevin Knox. I, <laughs> I've got to go. <laughs> yeah. I need to just open Nick bars with just bulletproof Chinese. Is food. there a Nick's bar? I don't It's just I don't a think sad so. bar. Yeah, it's probably just a methadone clinic. It's bar where they take <laughs> <laughs> they take your keys when you get in. Yeah. They make sure you don't drive. Yeah. Nick's bar. Yeah, oh, that's man. true. The weirdest thing about LA is the lack of you know, basketball is so big here. Yeah. And just the whole Knicks thing, either people don't admit they're Knicks fans. Or they kind of get swayed over to an LA team. I hate that. I hate yeah, it when bad. people switch. It's like you got to be a masochist, like to the end. What is funny though that we don't care if somebody get like if your buddy was like, "I'm getting divorced," I'm like, "Oh man, sorry to hear that." But if you had a buddy going, "I'm switching from the Knicks to Lakers," you're like, "You motherfucker!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, I <laughs> How was are you doing funny. that. I was a Red Sox fan for years when they were bad. Yeah, and when they got good after the second World Series, I was like, "I can't cheer for the Red Sox anymore. They're like too too fucking good." So I started yeah. cheering for the Devil Rays. The Devil Race. Yeah. Well, yeah. you don't have to ever worry about them being good. Yeah. <laughs> They're terrible. They're terrible. So I flipped to the Devil Rays after their the whole Red business Sox model is to suck for nine years, to be good for the 10th year, and then suck again for the next nine yeah, years. Yeah. It's like Florida. I don't know teams. if it's going to work. Yeah. Devil Rays, Marlins. It's like we're good like one year out of every 10. It's mm. amazing. You know? So what's the next big thing for you? Are you still doing the Viceland show? No, I'm I'm not at done? Viceland anymore. Yeah, we we left at Viceland. It, it got When did you leave? Uh when was it? May? I, well, just we finished the season and I left on Seemed good like terms. Seemed like you were done. Yeah. Yeah, I left on good terms. I'm doing a similar show, like something in the same vein. And uh we're talking to a bunch of networks now. So we're deciding we'll probably have an answer in like a week or two of like where that show lands. But um that What about one, a show where Tommy goes out on Friday nights with NBA posses and entourages? And because <laughs> him and Phil Jackson we just should go out like with the posses. With those <laughs> No those the what posse those, with Phil Jackson. The, the LAPD, what do they wear? The cameras, the body Your cameras? Body cam. Just Tommy wears a body <laughs> camera and he's just out with the NBA players. Because that's happening every Friday and Saturday night. Yeah, I, I kind of want to just see Tommy out with Jesus and Miro with a body cam. You oh could be God. like, that would be like you, you'd be like Mizzle. The, remember the white guy on Purple Haze? Cameron's white guy on the Purple Haze album? You could be like Mizzle. For I was Jesus actually in that show in the finals for one night and- uh Oh and, yeah, and yeah. Well, it was, it was not filmed, but oh. we were out with them all night, and I missed three hours. And during the, I came back later, and I'm like, "What did I miss?" And they were like, "Oh, Hell yeah. 
Kyle was it was, yeah, Kyle was oh, it too. Was I missed a lot. I'll put it that way. Yeah. I missed a lot. But yeah, the the Tommy body armor show would yeah. be a good one. Or body yeah. camera. Tommy the body cam. That would that would be pretty good. I'm in on this restaurant. <laughs> you, I'll get just you tell involved me in Coney Island. We're, I'll, 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 off the record, I'll I tell you. Eat I'll there. tell you as soon as this thing's over, I'll tell you it's going to be good. It'll be good. We found a place with a liquor license. It's going to be crazy. But uh, I All write right, scripts. I love... The scripts is my big thing. I good. write. I have a basketball movie with like a basketball script I sold to Focus Features. So that's like my baby, you know. Great. Yeah. I hope it's not the Linsanity story. <laughs> no, it's it's not. But it, it's it's a good New York basketball story. Like Great. High, school, high school basketball. I'm off for more basketball movies. Yeah. Uh, I'm saving stuff for the next time we do a podcast. Plus, it's 98 degrees in my office. This it. LA heat wave has been. Atrocious. Screw you, LA, for the heat wave. Yeah. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We're going to get to Jim Miller in a second, but first, don't miss Mark Wahlberg in Mile 22, only in theaters on August 17th from Pete Berg, director of Lone Survivor. Comes the most original action thrill ride of the summer. Mile 22 follows Wahlberg as the leader of an elite special ops team called Overwatch, which is called upon when the traditional options of diplomacy and military have failed. They're the third option. Wahlberg and his team, that includes Ronda Rousey and John Malkovich, they embark on an urgent mission to transport a foreign intelligent agent from an American embassy in Southeast Asia to an airfield for extraction. This asset possesses highly classified information which could prevent terrorist attacks of catastrophic proportions. Their Overwatch team must travel 90 minutes through a 22-mile gauntlet in enemy territory with a whole city dead set against letting them leave. 22 miles of pulse-pounding, breathless, nonstop action. I'm all in on the Peeperg, Mark Wahlberg franchise. Just, but I didn't even have to read all that stuff. I was going to see this anyway, but it sounds great. Mile 22, I think this is their fourth or fifth collaboration together. Uh, four for four, it sounds like, in my opinion. Mile 22 rated RC in an IMAX in premium large format, August 17th. Let's get to Jim Miller. All right, on the line right now. His professional name is James Andrew Miller. We know him as Jim Miller. He's been on this podcast before. He has a new Origins podcast out that dropped this week about Nick Saban. Jim, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's nice to have you on a podcast where we're not just talking about ESPN. That seems like half of your job now is just going on various podcasts and talking about whatever the F is going on with ESPN. It's like a side job for you. That is an unpaid side Luckily job. Luckily for way. all, it's the gift that keeps giving because <laughs> there's always something to talk about. It is true. There is always something to talk about. What a lively, uh, lively decade. I was actually thinking it's the five-year anniversary of 2013, which I've, I still feel like was the apex of ESPN where they were just flush with cash. Everything's going their way. Subs are still going up or stable. And uh, FS1 is coming and they're just blowing FS1 out with offers to different people. They had just done the NBA deal, the MLB deal. They had the things hadn't gone south with the NFL yet. Would you say that was the apex of ESPN? I I think so. In part also because I would add to that list that no one was kind of seeing what was happening around the corner. So it was um, unbridled enthusiasm, as they say. And it wasn't even like somebody was starting to say, Okay, hold on a moment. Uh, all this stuff is going on well, but you know, going very well. But we got some problems down the road. I don't think there were that many voices in Burbank or Bristol that were uh, that were raising their hands and saying, you know, this is this is going to be a problem. 
What do you feel like this new this new Disney app that they've launched that is basically going to be Disney movies and there's Hulu involved and uh, you have the ESPN OTT app and this is clearly where the business is going. I'm actually, I'm, I'm not as pessimistic about ESPN's future as a lot of other people out there are because I think eventually everything moves to the digital side and all of these apps that are going to, you know, the OTT apps that are basically going to transform their business. ESPN is going to be a part of that. And that'll eventually be how we watch ESPN. Am I being too optimistic? No, I don't think so. I mean, certainly you're, you're in line with what Bob Iger, I think, uh, thinks, but the question becomes, look, how many of these different apps and how many checks are we going to be writing for different players every single month? You know, I mean, right now we kind of get used to it. We're going to, pay Netflix and we're going to pay this one. But I mean, it could be that, you you know, under certain scenarios, you have like eight or nine places like that. I don't believe it. So I think there will be some aggregation and there'll be some sort of funny, skinny bundle. And it seems like one of the things that ESPN is doing right now with Disney is making sure that even if there are three or four, they're going to be one of the three or four. Right. And um, that's not a bad that's not a bad situation. The only problem is if they keep on spending money like they're spending, um, I understand that they're trying to, you know, get people to sign up and everything, but boy, oh boy, they're going to need a lot of, they're going to need a lot of subs to, uh, for a break even on this stuff. I don't even think they're trying to break even. It seems like this first year they're just spending and trying to give all these different pockets of sports fans a reason to talk themselves into getting the app where you have like the Pacquiao fights on there and people who love boxing are like, ah, screw it. I'll get the ESPN app or UFC. And now you see them getting more into fantasy. I think gambling will be the next frontier. They haven't announced their plans on that, but whenever they, whenever they do, I'm no, sure that's, that's going to be part point, of the app. Though. They want to make sure that they're part of the conversation and that they're on your phone already. But at some point, they have to make money for it. And so I just think that the real, I, I, you know, it makes sense what they're doing now, but I think the real test will be, let's say, two or three years from now. And tell me the number of subs and, you know, it'll be pretty clear about whether or not they're making money or not. Well, it seems like the big, right now they're going for these little pockets just to kind of pull to try to get a, a small base is my perception of it. Like, that's why they completely overspent for the UFC. I thought that what they paid for the UFC was insane. I, I was stunned by the number. Um, I know barely anything about this stuff, but I, it was one of those cases of who are you bidding against? And also, why are you wading into the UFC at a time at probably the worst point of the last 10 years for that company where they really had trouble establishing stars? You have all these weight cutting issues that they're having, PDs, um, some bets that they made that didn't pay off. And now is the time that they waited in on that. I thought that was strange, but I do feel like we're eventually heading for, they're going to overpay. I know nothing. This is, I'm saying this without inside information. They're going to have to overpay for Sunday ticket or NBA league pass, which are already established properties that belong to those leagues and they have deals and all that stuff. But I think, I think they're going to have to overpay for one of those things where they just need like a marquee, a list, we have this, you, you love this product. We already know you're paying X amount for it. You have to get it here. Other than that, I don't, I just don't see how they build that audience in a big way. What What do you think? 
Well, remember, we've, we've bypassed the biggest fork in the road they had, which is whether or not they were going to do anything with what they already own and put it on plus, and whether or not they were even legally allowed to do so. And I think one of the things that the UFC deal shows is that they, have, they feel like they don't have enough right now in inventory or what they can do or what they are willing to do in terms of moving from linear. Yeah. Um, so they have to go out and spend. And, uh, you know, given the amount of money that they've spent in the past decade or even the past five years, that's an extraordinary realization um, on their part. You know, we're going to have to go out and we're going to have to get even more because we don't think we're going to be able to attract enough new customers based on what we have. If you had to rank the sports properties that the three major players right now have, you have Turner, you have Fox, and you have ESPN. What would be your power rankings for which sports properties would you want out of those three? What would be your first place, second place, third place? Because I think this is a really interesting piece of the of ESPN's problem right now. They are not the worldwide leader. Other places have really cut in with these impact programming, but I'm interested. What are, What is your one, two, three right now? Well, remember, it's not a level playing field, though, because ESPN has different requirements than the other two. They have those 8,760 hours to kind of take care of every year. So this is dating back to, like, you know, the late 80s when they did the baseball deal and everybody said they were crazy, but they need tonnage. And so one of the things that the NBA does for them, even though they split, is it gives them, it gives them those you know, those games that they desperately need. They can't just survive on 17 NFL games. And you know, while it's clear that uh, now under the new regime that they're going to try and keep the NFL, it, it, that's just not enough. It used to be really, really important to them because it changed their sub fees. But now that's really not the case. I mean, it is to a certain degree, but not as much as it used to be. So I think that, you know, each place is trying to figure out its own level of profitability and relevance. Um, but I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, in the next, let's say, uh, starting about a year from now, we're going to go on a kind of a shopping spree, right? A lot yeah. of rates are going to be coming up. And uh, I, I think that ESPN is going to have to be more selective given uh, you know, the financial equation and, and the fact that Burbank isn't going to just buy, let them buy everything. Well, don't, and plus they, you know, they need money for digital now. You and I both think the NBA thing in retrospect was actually, I thought the best big rights deal that Skipper made. I, they oh, bought I mean, into a league at the I mean, perfect I know point. And others criticize it, but my gosh, they're stupid. Can you imagine if they didn't have it. No, they're stupid. They bought into the league right as the league was taking off. The ratings are going up. And the one thing that's really different from even when I was there after I did the first countdown season, because I remember being like, why don't we have an afternoon show? Why isn't there a daily NBA show? We're talking to all these different people and they're like, ah, you know, that only works for the NFL. The attitude was that an afternoon NBA show would not work, that there was not an audience, that you could not sustain it year round. There was no model for it. And now not only can you sustain it year round, you could argue it should be an hour and you could argue that it's actually a more important show for them than NFL live. A lot of the, it's, it's at least equal. Um, so oh, I think without, particularly with the, with the culture, I mean, look, one of the differences between the Stern era and Adam Silver's era is I really believe that the, that the NBA became a legitimate 11 month 
yeah. you know, property um, under Adam's watch for a variety of reasons. But and I also feel like there is a cachet or there's other elements. There's cultural elements off of it. There's it just I don't know. The social thing is just wild about the NBA draft, like it, in a way that it, it never used to be. And the personalities and the trades and everything else. Yeah, but um, Jim, that stuff that stuff was there. This was why this is so frustrating for me in the moment. Like when I remember in 2013, me and Jalen did the uh, did the previews for each team that we ended up just putting on YouTube, and we desperately wanted to put those on Sports Center. And the people running Sports Center were like, "Nah, we can't do that. Nah, we're not gonna we're not gonna devote four minute stretches to you know breaking down an NBA team third before the season. That's crazy." So then, what do you think was the game changer? What was what what was what became different? Uh, if you think it was already there, because I just don't, I think there were enough people that like the people who were saying no to you and Jalen, I think there were enough people all throughout sports who really didn't recognize it or weren't, weren't willing to go there. I think Adam, I think Adam Silver recognized it. Cause I remember talking to him. I remember being at the finals in 2013, talking to him about an afternoon show and him saying that's in our contract, this next deal we're negotiating, we're supposed to have an afternoon show. And I'm like, really? I never heard that. They're going to guarantee that. He's like, yeah, we made that part of the deal. And um, I think people who love the NBA saw it. We saw what was happening on Twitter. We saw what was happening with the marketability of the guys. And it just took, I think, a while for ESPN to see it. And I, I the probably the tipping point, I forget what, oh, 2014, when LeBron went back to Cleveland, that was the first time I really remember we we went from the finals to the draft to free agency to LeBron. And all of a sudden it was like mid-July. And we were getting at Grantland getting content on this stuff every day. And we could see it in the traffic. It was there was just a noticeable shift. And I think at that point they probably all realized like this is stupid. We should, there's more content to be out here. But now I think. I would argue for what they do, it's as important as a 12 month a year sport as the NFL. I mean, the NFL doesn't have the version of what they had on June 30th with the jump where they're on at midnight with the free agent signings. There's no version of the NFL for that. The NFL is the draft. It's much more of a machine. It's, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks of content they can get out of it. NBA draft is too close to the season. It's really hard to build that up. And somehow the NFL, the NBA has managed to avoid the political toxic oh yeah kind of qualities of i mean you know you're not talking about whether people are kneeling on courtside and whether owners like Jerry Jones are too close to the white house or anything like that um well, they the pay, done, don't, don't they pay less for the nba than they do for the nfl yes yeah and for the nfl they're getting these 17 games half of which are bad they don't get any playoff games except for Occasionally they would have the one. Well, I don't they even, can get a wild card, but yeah, they don't even know if they gave that away. And uh, and basically the all you can eat buffet of the footage. But my question, and you you would know this better than me. Personally, I would get rid of all the football games. Give them to somebody else. I they need the footage. They have to have the highlights. Um, I have firsthand experience with how tough it is to talk about football if you don't have highlights. But couldn't they just cut a deal with the NFL and just have the highlights? Why wouldn't they do that? I wrote a column for a Hollywood Reporter in, uh, I guess, January. Yeah. Or someone somewhere saying, you know, I think they should look. They were at that time they're getting the fourth worst schedule, and uh, you know you're looking at two billion dollars north, um, 
for the cost, it just wasn't worth it. it. Just wasn't worth it. And I think that had Skipper stayed at ESPN, uh, I mean, Iger would have eventually overruled him. But I don't. I don't believe there was one part of John Skipper that was going to try and keep the NFL. Well, think about it from uh, like a salary cap standpoint. If he, if ESPN was almost like an NBA team, the money that you're putting toward football, you had to lose all these other events. And I really feel, I feel like sports program, this is why I want to go back to that ranking, the one, two, and three, the three properties, Fox, Turner, and ESPN. I really feel like we've moved into this era of um, impact sports programming. So like you have the British Open, you have the British Open for four days. And for four days, you're really relevant and you matter and you can flood your network with it. And especially now that all these networks have different cable channels, they can put different events on and you just get your money's worth out of it. Like whatever Fox pays for the baseball playoffs, that's that's where the real meat is. For five weeks, they can put it on FS1, they can put it on FS2, like wherever the hell they want to put it. Fox, they can promote their other shows from it. They are really getting their money's worth out of it. And you know, I look at I look at the assets ESPN has. They have baseball. It's eating up innings. Great, but they don't actually have the part of baseball that really matters at this point because baseball has turned into a five month, five week a year sport for casual fans. You know, and they, it's almost like they just have the wrong part of that deal. I think that was Skipper's biggest mistake of his entire tenure, and I still feel that way. But that baseball deal? Yeah. I don't care about the yeah, eating up innings thing. I just don't think. I don't think it matters. I I think it, it's so less much, and less they had relevant. So much money at the time. They had so much money at the time, and they and they they needed the, they needed the touch, and they uh and they wanted to be in the sport. But you have you're getting I mean, a sport where you don't even have a daily show about the sport, and you're the rights holder for the sport. It's, well, that's it's, a whole other. That's it's a whole become other a localized sport. I think. I think the misread was that baseball is moving this direction where people care about their team, and that's it. And I know with my dad, who loves the Red Sox, he watches Nesson before the game, and he watches Nesson after the game. He's not going to baseball tonight to see what happened in the other games, and I don't either. So I think that's the one one of the things that's really shifted over the last five years. But going back to the Fox Turner thing, like, you know, Turner has March Madness. They have the same basketball package that ESPN has basically except for the finals. They have one conference every round and all that stuff. They have Champions League now. They have one other thing that I'm blanking on. Um, but that uh. but they're basically able to just kind of float in and own these little weeks or months and then they're out. And for the amount of money they're spending compared to what ESPN spending, I, I, I understand the tonnage issue and all that stuff, but, um, well, they spent a, they spent a pretty big dollar as well on the NBA. Oh yeah. And that was a, that was a deep dive for them. Oh, college um, football. That's don't they? No, not, not college. No. Fox says college football. What's the other yeah. thing Turner has? They have, is it a golf thing? They have one of the golfs. No. Uh, yeah, I'm blanking. So, Sorry. Fox uh, has uh, some of the golf and has the big half of the Big Ten. Fox and, has uh, Fox has U.S. Open, college basketball, college football, baseball, and baseball playoffs, and then the probably the best football of all the footballs for the NFL because they have the NFC. They get everything through the NFC Championship game. They get the rotating Super Bowl, which ESPN somehow didn't get. I don't know. It's pretty. It's a lot of assets. 
My point is, I'm not sure ESPN's the worldwide leader the way they used to be. You agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, if you're just going to go on a, on a uh, property basis, they never were. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they really never were. They didn't have, they didn't have football until they had half of the schedule in 87. And that was kind of a low rent, if you want to say, uh, schedule. And then they got the full schedule. But even when they did that big deal for Monday night, they got the old Sunday night cable schedule. They didn't right. get the Monday night broadcast schedule. You know, NBC got that. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's ever been a time where you would look at, uh, I guess, I mean, maybe in terms of college football, because they've spent over $20 billion yeah. and they have the championships and they, I mean, you know, with the SEC and the ACC and everything, I mean, they're in very good shape with college football. But just in terms of spreading it out, they don't have the NCAA college basketball tournament. And, uh, I mean, look, they got, a lot of tennis, but that's grain of sand on a big beach. I don't think they've ever done, I don't think they've ever dominated and been the worldwide leader in terms of acquisitions. The BCS thing was, I think, a real masterstroke for them. I think that's worked. I think that's been a great thing for them. And that goes back to the owning uh, the narrative thing. I don't know how much they paid for it, but for those two weeks, you know, they're in the game. In a, in yeah, a, absolutely. In a big absolutely. way. Absolutely. And the, and the great thing is, and you'll see it being, I don't know, it could be ABC goes for football. Who knows? Because uh, the NFL has always still loved broadcast. And uh, one of the things you know is, no matter what, you might have some hit show now, but three years from now, four years from now, may not be working, but you know, the championship game will be. Fox, this merger that happened, Peter Rice comes in who is really well-respected and has run TV and movies. And over these last few years, we, we've never been able to figure out who the Iger successor was. And we've never been able to even talk ourselves into, oh, that's, that's probably who it's going to be, that one. This feels like the first one where everybody's going, yeah, that's going to be the guy who replaces Iger. What are you hearing on that? Well, I think there are a lot of people who believe that um, Kevin Mayer, given his now operational duties at ESPN, uh, is at least part of the list, has to be part of the conversation. Whether or not that ultimately happens um, remains to be seen, of course. But I do think, look, he's got people have a tendency to think old, old world. And, you know, Jimmy Pataro is president of ESPN, but Kevin made those deals for ESPN plus those, they would have never happened without Kevin's enthusiasm and, you know, basically strategic drive for those. Um, he's got technology. Uh, he's got ad sales. He's got, he's, he's got a big foot in the door. And I think that ESPN is one of those things. If you look at the entire Disney landscape, ESPN is one of those important things that they got to get right. They got to take to another level. And if he were to really engineer a terrific success story at ESPN. I think that he would, he could certainly have a legitimate claim to it. All right. We're betting lunch on this. I have Peter Rice. Oh, I'm not saying I'm not listening. I mean, if you were going to, you know, do odds or whatever, I mean, Peter's far ahead. I'm just saying though, that in terms of other people that are part of the conversation. So Peter Rice is like the Warriors. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Mayer is the Celtics. Not uh, as much talent, but might be, might, might have a chance. Don't count him out. 
Uh, I, w- I wouldn't count him out. Let's put it that way. Who is more powerful at ESPN, Kevin Mayer or Jimmy Pitara? Uh, well, I mean, it's a kind of a crazy question, but I'll, I, 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 in some ways, I'd have to say Kevin. No offense against Jimmy, of course. Look, Jimmy has a lot of responsibilities. He's got a big job, but I think that just in terms of dollars and the operational duties and uh, what you saw with um, the UFC, uh, I think that's you know that that's a lot. That's that's a lot. And again, Jimmy has a lot of control, but you know I, I think Kevin's in some ways um, got he has he has his finger on the levers that have more ability to influence the future of ESPN um, than Jimmy does. We've never seen a situation before where somebody took over ESPN but had somebody directly over him who had legitimate oversight over direct decisions about ESPN like this. I mean, obviously Skipper had to run stuff by Agar and Michael Eisner and all that stuff, but we've never seen, I don't think we've seen a situation quite like this. They also took ESPN was, I think what, 8,000 people at one point. They took all the sales, all the tech people and moved them under a Disney umbrella. So he has way less reports than, um, than Skipper did. What does he have? Like 5,000? Something like that? Yeah, it's in the 5,000 neighborhood. But, you know, I don't think anybody would say technically Jimmy is, uh, I mean, Kevin is over Jimmy. I mean, we're getting into the weeds here. But yeah. um, the point is, there's are, a lot are. more. It's interesting. But there's a lot more operational influence now, more than ever before in Burbank than, uh, than there ever has been. It's interesting. The Disney stock which has always been in the hundreds. It's been somewhere between like a hundred and one Oh nine for, I would say the last year pretty consistently. And lately it's gone up to like one sixteen, one seventeen. I think people are starting to wonder, could Disney really put together a real Netflix competitor here? They did a thing about it last week and the OTT app. I am, I'm pro Disney in, in the sense that I just think, they belatedly got their shit together. All the stuff they're doing now is really stuff they could have started doing in 2013 and 14 and 15, especially with ESPN when they had all these assets to do a much better version of the watch ESPN app. Now they've figured out they've done it. So they maybe lost three years, but the totality of all the assets they have now, it's kind of staggering, especially when you add in the Fox library and all their TV shows and, um, I don't know. I, I just think they're in a much better position than they were a year ago. They, does that seem to be the consensus or am I too optimistic? No, I think that's true. And I think also, look, I think that Wall Street is now understanding their strategy. And there were, you know, there were a couple of years there where I mean, it's one of the reasons why we didn't hear from Skipper for like over a year because it, it became more about investor relations than anything else. And there was sometimes in the year before that some disparities between what Bob Auger was saying and what John Skipper was saying, and that proved to be quite deleterious to uh, you know in the marketplace. And they didn't. So as a result, the street didn't understand it. I think Bob Iger has been crystal clear about what he wants to do and what he's got a laser focus on, including these OTT operations. And as a result, I think people are starting to now, like say, I get it. I get it. This is what they're doing. And they continue to have pretty good success in the film division. And um, so I think it's an easier time for them to tell their story. And then Pataro comes in 
it seems like at least two of his first two tasks were repair this NFL thing ASAP. Well, you know, you know when you take the SATs and you get 200 points for signing your name? Yeah. I mean, I think he had a big gush of wind at his back only because Skipper was already gone. So the NFL hated Skipper so much. It's like, okay, like, you know, we don't know. You know, I mean, Jimmy knew them before with uh, his work at Yahoo and earlier at Disney, but I think that he had a, he had a lot of wind at his back in terms of repairing things with Park. Park Avenue, just because uh, he wasn't John Skipper. Do you think that was the number one task that he had when he took over? Uh, I, I guess so, but I think, and more importantly, it's to understand the new economics of ESPN and how that place is going to be organized and what you're going to do. I mean, there has to be, you know, a, a clear strategy. Not only it's just about content, but about personnel. Are there going to be more layoffs? Uh, how are people going to be used? What are the priorities? And then, of course, establishing the priorities in advance of this, you know, all these acquisition rights that are going to be up um, starting in about a year and a half. What do you think the second, the second biggest like micro task he was given beyond the NFL was? Like, do you think they, do they still have well, the I same? Think the biggest task, the biggest task, job number one was make sure that Bristol is always in line with Burbank. Mm. That is, that is, that was his job number one, because that was, it was fractured under Skipper. And as I was alluding to before, it was, it caused problems at Wall Street. It caused problems um, in, in numerous ways. And so I think Jimmy is probably going to be more tied to Bob Iger and what Burbank is doing than any president in ESPN history since 1996 and the takeover. And it seems like the number two thing was beyond the NFL, just like micro and what you just mentioned, maybe number three thing was uh, we do not want people to think ESPN leans one way or the other politically. And I think that I think that has been a sore spot, and you have not seen nearly as much people people wandering off the reservation, shall we say, in these last well, six yeah, months. Well, yeah, I mean, you gotta, you know, you just get Norby. He's like the cleaner in La Femme Nikita. You know, he's gonna just come and take care of everything. <laughs> so he's been he's compared got, to little he's got thing. His bucket. He's got his mop, or he's like Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> just shows up at the door and says, "Okay, this is what we're gonna do." Okay, Jamel and Michael, you go over there. You stand there. I mean, he's got, you know, just just let him have it. I think there's been a weird sports center renaissance this year. I'm not saying it's taking off or whatever, but the familiarity of it, it does seem like uh, they've gone from, oh my God, sports center's dying. It's got to turn into something else. We have to take all these dramatic swings to them now reverting the other way and be like, you know, it's all right, sports center. Let's just... Let's just play the hits. Let's just have some highlights. Not get, not make it too complicated. And you can make a case. Maybe they never should have tickered with SportsCenter in the first place. And the ratings were just naturally going to atrophy year after year. And you can't stop it. And what can you do? Well, yeah. And also, you don't have to make DC2 the huge studio and the huge set the star. It's about the people. Yeah, you know. I don't remember if we've talked about this on the pod before, but the first year I was doing Countdown, the first couple months we were on this, uh, just this normal set in the LA Live building, nothing special. And they were all excited about this new set we were building. And then we launched it on Christmas day and they spent like a million bucks on it. 
they were really fired up about it. It's great. We're going to be able to do this, do that. And we did the show and they were like, make a big deal about the set. And when we started out, we had to like talk about, oh, we're new digs. Uh, guess what? Nobody cared. Now, nobody's watching that show who are like, I'm on the fence. I was going to watch that show, but the set's not nice enough. You know, ultimately it's just people talking on a set. You don't need to go crazy. And it does feel like they went a little bit bonkers there with how much money they're spending in the sets. Now it's like, you know what? There's two people. They have good chemistry. They're going to show some highlights. It's uh Yeah, I mean, there were technological things that they got out of DC too, but they didn't have to spend $130 million and uh, totally transform SportsCenter to uh, to accomplish all that. You know, I think that that was, um, I, I think it was, a, you know, it was a big mistake. But look, they've, I think they've rebounded uh Quite, quite nicely on that. And you're starting to, I think the Sports Center anchors themselves seeing that they're enjoying it more now. A couple of years ago, I mean, it looked, sometimes you would come up on them at 11 o'clock or, you know, God knows at 6 o'clock or something. It looked like they were ready for root canal. Yeah. And I think there's just a, it's just something that's just a little lighter now. It's, a, it's more fun. And uh, I think people are engaging more as a result. Well, I also think when you have layoffs and people's jobs are in danger and things like that, um, you had some people who felt like I've outgrown sports center. It's, it's, I've graduated from this. What's next for me. And now we're in an era. It's like, you know, it's being, you know, it's good being on sports center, being on TV and being good at this because this is an important show for us. And there definitely seems to have been a, a mindset shift. Really? I, I also feel like two or three years ago, there were people who thought that they had to somehow, if they found something new, that they were going to replace something. So they were going to kick something out. And it turns out that we're, I'm guilty of this too. We just create more space. So now it's like, okay, we're checking out this on Instagram and we're checking out, we're looking at House of Highlights and we're looking at this and we're looking at this and we're looking at sports. It's like, we're just, we're just kind of increasing our bandwidth yeah. for stuff that we like, as opposed to feeling like it's binary. Like, oh, well, if I'm going to be on here, then I guess I don't have time for that or I'm not going to be interested in that. Instead, we do more. What's your what's your prediction for the biggest risk ESPN takes in 2019? In 2018? No, 19, next year. This coming 19. year, what's the big what's the biggest gamble they make? What's the biggest risk they take next year? I would say for this year it would be the UFC and the amount of money they spent to try to get the OTT app going. No, oh, without a doubt. I mean, there's nothing close this year. That's a, that's a lot of money they spent on the UFC. But I think for next year, it's going to be what they what they decide to do in terms of, I mean, look, there's a big question. Are they going to, MLB rights are going to be up. You know, uh, obviously they're going to go and do the NFL, but are they going to do, are they going to do ABC and ESPN? Um, I think their biggest risk is the package that they put together. The biggest gamble is going to be the package they put together for those 24 months. Do you think there's a... Is there a world where they just have Sunday night baseball and that's it? And they just make Sunday a baseball day and throw away the rest of the week? Well, you're assuming that they can pull that off. I'm I'm just asking. If you're baseball, that might make sense. Be like, all right, pay a little more for Sunday baseball and we'll sell the rest of the rights elsewhere. Right, but I'm about to say, though, that's assuming that they can sell the rest of the rights elsewhere. Because if I'm Fox, somebody else, and I'm buying baseball... I'm going to want Sunday night. Right. You know, I mean, otherwise, it's just not that great. 
I would not be buying yeah. baseball if I was any of these leagues. I would I would be trying to buy all the RSNs and combine them into some sort of monster business, which you wouldn't even be able to do because all the teams own half of them. Um, well, now they have to sell them. My prediction is, I, I don't have one. I, it's too early. I need to read the two leaves more. I don't want to go on the record with anything. Hey, quickly, the Starbucks double shot starts with bold Starbucks coffee. It's blended for milk with a smooth, creamy, delicious flavor. It's enhanced with ginseng, guarana, and B vitamins. Double shot. Available in six delicious flavors. Mocha, vanilla, hazelnut, white chocolate, coffee, Mexican mocha. It's an energy coffee drink that not only tastes great, but gives you the energy to go from point A to point done. I used to get the latte late afternoon. Now I just have these Starbucks double shots in my fridge. Don't have to go to Starbucks. Don't have to bother. I already have it. I already did my Starbucks tour duty. They're in my fridge. Starbucks double shot. It's energy to do things you actually do. Find it in your local convenience store. Put it in the fridge and you are ready to roll. Back to Jim Miller. Let's talk about origins with Nick Saban. How long did you spend on this? Uh, you know, yeah, I always spent a lot, uh, you know, probably three or four months. Did you get a sense for why, or did you cover this? Does he have regrets about how his NFL stint went? Because I remember when he came into the AFC East, obviously as a massive Pats fan, I was worried because he, he seemed to be one of the few coaches Belichick really respected. The Miami thing didn't work out for a couple bad luck reasons. And then maybe, you know, yeah, it was his first game. If he had gotten his way, if he had gotten his way and he proved to be right, I'm not trying to defend him, but I mean, look, he wanted Drew Brees and his doctor cleared Drew Brees and they couldn't get cleared. If, you know, it is one, it is worth talking for a moment. If Nick Saban had had Drew Brees in Miami, what would have happened? Um, you well, know, that, I think that, that that's what just, I was saying with the bad luck thing. I, Cause I think, it's funny, but I've and I've written this. If Drew Brees goes to Miami, I don't think Alabama happens. I think Saban stays. I think the entire landscape of the of football for the next six seven years is different in so many different ways, including the Saints don't win a title. Um, the Patriots certainly don't have the AFC East dynasty they have. There's the potential for a real Belichick Saban rivalry. Belichick's really never had a coach rival. And maybe that would have been it. Pat's Dolphins games would have been massive. Um, it, it really is a great NFL what if. It's one of my favorites. That, I mean, that, that, you know, I bring it up in the pod because I think it's so important. It, and like you just outlined, it has so many different repercussions. And it really would have been fun. Look, those two years when the Jets were pretty good under Rex. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, there was, there was a lot of drama with the Ryan Belichick thing. And can you imagine? I mean, uh, particularly given the fact that Belichick had hired Saban, um, their history together, I think that would have been really, really cool. So, yes, I mean, I talked with Saban about it. Is it because they're 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and you can control them more? Um, I think if he had the right, if he had had Breeze, I think he would have, it would have been a different story down there in Miami. And I completely agree. You wouldn't have had the run with Alabama that you had. Well, and you wouldn't have had maybe the same Patriots run and also like, Sneaky fact about Belichick and Saban. Saban sneaks guys to Belichick every year. It's always like, usually not in the first round, but the, it over and over again, the Pats have ended up with these Alabama guys on their team. And uh, yeah, it's a great what if. I'm fascinated by their relationship. I always felt like uh, at some point, I'm sure 
they'll do something, they'll do some sort of infomercially documentary or something where they kind of almost a little like what Belichick did with Parcells, but I'm sure there's going to be some moment where they join forces for something because they've been the two most influential coaches of this century. And it's funny that they're friends, you know, and that, and that Saban owns, owes real gratitude to Belichick. Um, what was the Even though he was miserable in Cleveland. Oh my God. He was working there. It seems like everybody was miserable just, there. What just was, miserable. I mean, what was the biggest surprise you you unearthed as you were reporting and working on this whole thing for you personally? Well, I mean, Lane Lane Kiffin is the gift that keeps giving, and yeah. uh, I, his interview was just fascinating because I, I mean, look, it's like you got this guy who really wants to be a good guy and say the right things, and then it's just like every every statement, every sentence is so multi dimensional and. You know, I kept on pushing him to the fact, to the point where, okay, yeah, yeah, we would have won if I was offensive coordinator, and uh, they, they he blew it, and uh, yes, I was right. We should have slowed down with practices for the playoffs, and he finally listened to me two years later, and that's what won him the championship. I mean, it's like it, it, he he starts off in the nicest way, and then you know, just with a little digging, and uh, there, it's just. Um, I found it to be fascinating. And their whole relationship, uh, you know, Kiffin told me that when he was being considered for the Alabama job, like the SEC just, you know, was really upset, of course, if you remember, yeah. particularly given what had gone on at Tennessee. And when people started saying, oh, my gosh, Stephen, you can't bring this guy back. We don't want him here. We don't want him here. You know, he said to friends, he goes, well, I got the job. And they go, what are you talking about? Look at all the protests. He goes, yeah, well, Saban's going to make sure that uh, he proves that nobody can influence him and that he'll do whatever he wants. And so now that they're telling him no, he's going to definitely say yes. Jeez. And he got the job. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's just um, so interesting. And then he goes into this big thing where he's comparing, like, you know, his favorite mentor, Pete Carroll, to Saban and the programs, how they're different. And he's trying, he's saying, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but, you know, there's one where it's, you know, you want to go to work as opposed to you have to go to work. Yeah. And there's one, that, and he starts to go through it. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. And I also interviewed Joe Girardi, who, uh, you know, he's a big Saban fan, and he had, he had Saban come up and speak to the Yankees and talked about that a lot. And it turns out, I don't know, Saban was from West Virginia, but he was a big Yankees fan growing up, which I, you know, hadn't really yeah. um, known. So, Another uh, reason not to like him. Cool. Um, what, what's your next big project? I got Saturday Night Live, uh, coming out in, uh, September and then Sex in the City in October. Saturday Night Live Origins? Origins of the new season. I've been going, uh, hanging out and, uh, talking with everybody and- What? We're, How do you not tell me this? Crazy. What do you mean? I, that's out there. It's out there. Yeah. What do you and, mean out uh, there? What do, what do I have? Jim Miller Google alerts? I don't know things unless you tell me. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, Bill, I'm doing on September 12th, I'm doing this uh, Origins of Season 44 for SNL. Amazing. And it's all about how this season is going to be, you know, how they're getting ready for this season and Trump or no Trump and new cast members and what's the uh, what's the strategy going in. And, uh, you have you any know, gossip for us? Another- Are there new cast members or you can't reveal yet? No, it's still early. Still early. But, I, uh, yeah, I am no, hoping and I'm hoping and praying no Alec Baldwin this year. That'd be my number one draft pick 
My my top two draft picks are no more Alec Baldwin. Use the cast. It's your best chance to actually break a cast member and, and help their career. And then number two, Chris Red was the breakout star year one and was somehow buried at the same time. Like ride Chris Red. Chris Red's good. He's funny. Chris he has a chance Red. to be Chris something. Awesome. What the fuck? He was there last year. Where they were barely used him. Yeah, Chris Red is awesome. Chris Red is and, uh, the key to that. The whatever this upcoming season is, they have to figure out how to use him correctly. I think. Well, I'm glad Keenan and Kate are going to be back. But uh, oh, Kate's back. Be, uh, Keenan, yeah. No, Kate. Kate, Kate McKinnon's back. Yeah. Now that's a mistake. It's time to go. Be go be a big star. What is you this? Forget, Kristen came back after Bridesmaids. Yeah, I remember. Mistake. When it's time to go, it's time to go. It's like it's like going to the NBA when you're in in college. It's like sometimes it's time to go. Um, and then are you are you doing an ESPN book or you're not? Um. Uh, yeah, there's something on the computer. Yeah, it's something, <laughs> something on the computer. <laughs> something on the computer. Okay. When did the last one come out? Oh, is the last one came out 2011? Because I'll never forget John Walsh reading it in my in uh in my office, reading and forcing you to apologize and cackling, and then getting angry at me, and then reading more and cackling, and then getting upset at people who I think were dead. And uh, he somehow read <laughs> he somehow read the entire book in five hours, and it was two inches from his face, and he plowed through it yeah. and was taking notes and was just a lunatic. It was hilarious. I wish I had put hidden cameras in there. It would have been the best five hours on YouTube. Him just losing yeah, his I mind. Yeah, I think then a phone conversation after he read it with me was five hours. Well, <laughs> then he called me in. He's like, okay, uh, we're going to have to handle some of the stuff you said right away. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Then I had to call people and email people for... Uh, the next uh, the next few days. Anyway, uh, well, I'm looking forward to all this stuff. The Saturday Live thing. Wow, I guess you're gonna have to come back on before that comes on. I want to get want to get some of the details. Um, yeah, no, that's, I'm really looking. It's been fun already, and uh, it's been great. Origins. Nick Saban is that the title? Saban. It's uh, Origins of a Champion. Nick Saban and Alabama's Crimson Tide. All right, check that out. Available wherever you get your podcast. Jim Miller, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable experience for sleep. One night at a time delivered to your door in a small, how do they do that size box? Free shipping returns in the U.S. and Canada. Casper's 100 night risk-free sleep on it trial after all. You spend one third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Kyle, do we have to get you a Casper mattress? I'm, I'm still rocking with your old bed, so yeah. whenever, yeah. whenever you want, whenever. Get fifty dollars toward select mattresses by visiting Casper.com/bs using BS at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Also, thanks to Starbucks Double Shot. Starts with bold Starbucks coffee blended with milk for a smooth, creamy, delicious flavor, enhanced with ginseng, guarana, and B vitamins. And if you want to get a little sharper during the day, which as a writer, as most writers, I love coffee. I love that little natural boost. It's a great way to do it. Uh, just put in your fridge, Starbucks double shot. Energy to do things you actually do. Available on demand. Energy on demand. 
Find it in your local convenience store. That's it for this week. Go Red Sox. Keep winning. Make me proud, Red Sox. Keep doing your thing. And uh, and we'll be back next week on the BS Podcast. Until then.